Hey, yeah. Sam, thank thanks so much. You know, for oh, you're doing welcome. these. I mean, honestly, these these are fun. These are enjoyable, and I I gotta say, I enjoy doing them with you just because I think that our discussions just flow so naturally. So thanks. I really yeah, appreciate well, we, that. we we know each other well. You know, we we can pick up where the other is ending. I'm, I know what you're thinking so far. So no, it's always a treat uh, to do it, and I think it's very valuable. Welcome to the Advancing Dentistry podcast. Join us for in-depth discussions from industry-leading dental experts speaking on hot topics in their specialties. You're listening to our Biolize Advancing Dentistry podcast. This is Dr. Stephen John, your host for this presentation. Thanks for joining us. Prior to 1980, the words aesthetic and periodontal treatment most likely would have never been found in the same sentence, paragraph, heck, even the same textbook. Gingival grafting was pretty much the tire patch graft at the base of the recession in hopes of preventing progression. The possibility of predictable root coverage included four Hail Marys and a voodoo champ. Then came the subepithelial connective tissue graft for improved root coverage predictability. Soon followed, got it tissue regeneration, biologics, PRF, PRP, um, acellular dermal matrix, and of course, laser therapy. Laser therapy has greatly opened the door for easy, immediate aesthetic periodontal outcomes. We're extremely fortunate to have the world-renowned periodontal esthetician himself, Dr. Sam Lau, here today. Dr. Lau had traveled the world to present and demonstrate many laser-associated periodontal procedures for optimal aesthetics. Dr. Lau's CV will take up to, to take up pretty much the entire podcast, but let me hit a few points. Dr. Lau is Professor Emeritus at the University of Florida College of Dentistry, advisor member of the Pinky Institute. He is past president of the American Academy of Periodontology. He is very involved with the Academy of Laser Dentistry and has served as president of the Academy. He was selected dentistry, Dentist of the Year by the uh, Florida Dental Association, received the Distinguished Alumnus by the University of Texas School of Dentistry, recipient of the Gordon Christensen Lecturer Recognition Award, past president of the Florida Dental Association and past ADA trustee. Dr. Lau has served as the vice president for dental and clinical affairs and chief dental um, officer for Biolays and has offered has authored numerous publications. In addition of being the periodontal aesthetician, he is a heck of a culinary chef, at least according to him. Anyway, it's my pleasure and honor to introduce Dr. Sam Lau. Sam, welcome. Well, thank you, Steve. I uh, really appreciate the intro. And uh, yeah, I never thought about being an esthetician, but uh, <laughs> I can, I probably could work on some noses and some cheekbones since my colleague, all my colleagues are doing it anyway. So, <laughs> so yes, I've not had the title, but uh, I'll accept it. I'll put it on my CV going forward. So tell you what, I've actually uh, I've actually submitted to the American Dental Association to establish a new uh, specialty, and I just told them said for the apparel esthetician, see Sam Lau. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead and go forward. So uh, aesthetic periodontal therapy is a huge topic of conversation these days. Um, Dr. Lau, you've had the opportunity not only to see these changes in dentistry in your own practice, but also in the practices over the entire country 
um, from your lecturing and through your training. Uh, so I have a question. Has there been a shift in expectations and the demands of patients over the years? Absolutely. Our patients want to look fantastic. Uh, we have this icon of expectations. And I love your intro because as periodontists, we were known for actually creating uh, long teeth. And uh, we tried everything. I mean, we created plastic gingiva, if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we added pink gums to uh, zirconium and PFMs. Uh, we have been known to actually be the opposite of being aesthetic because bone always tries to match itself with gingiva. And in our quest to eliminate pockets, uh, our patients kept their teeth, but the teeth were longer. And so it's it's probably, we, we, we as periodontists have got to catch up. And so you're, you're right on target. Uh, but not only are we trying to fill the gap, but we're already having techniques now that we didn't have in the past to where we can accommodate patients' aesthetics and move them to the forefront uh, along with the rest of the body with our medical colleagues and what they're doing. I know that you've uh, actually mentioned a lot of times that patients uh, basically want things. How do you, how do you, uh, you say it? They want it done now? Uh, yeah, I have my, Maslow had uh, his human, human needs. I have Sam's patient needs. <laughs> uh, not that I'll ever become a Maslow philosopher, uh, but I do know a little bit about gums. And, and I always start a conversation, especially with an audience, to break the ice, is, you know, I ask them, what are, what are the five patient, what are five things patients want from us? And naturally, you know, the hygienist or dentist said, well, they want quality care. And I said, give me a break. <laughs> Not what they want. Oh, they want caring and compassion. You know, they want to know how to stay healthy. Are you kidding me? No, here's what they want. First of all, they don't want to be, they don't want you to hurt them or they'll get on Yelp and kill you. Um, they want everything done now. They don't want to see anybody but you. They don't want to pay and they want to look fantastic. So very quickly, that's Sam's five human needs uh, that patients want from us, which wasn't the case when your dad was a periodontist. Right. It wasn't the case when you started. But we are self-absorbed. And we've got to enjoy the fact that neither that a patient can dictate our care, but at least we know what they're thinking and we can kind of morph what they're thinking into what we think they really should have. So with that in mind, the increase in kind of, I guess I could say patient demands and expectations, um, how does how do you feel that laser therapy fits into this to help, I guess to say, satisfy those needs? Well, we in periodontics, we've been doing aesthetic gingivectomies, you know, since God created a 15C blade or a gingivectomy knife. Uh, the issue, however, was that for the most part, 
we were always afraid of the bone. So even though we could make the gums look good, as you know, the gums grew back. And especially one of those issues is when you see a general dentist do a gingivectomy and then going to do veneers. And lo and behold, everything looks fantastic. And then nine months later, you know, the gingiva is what we call that red halo around all the teeth. And then some practitioners swerving down, they're allergic to zirconium. And they send them <laughs> even to, you know, to uh, uh, allergists. Well, they are allergic to the zirconium. They're allergic to the zirconium because the bone is allergic to the zirconium because the zirconium is now sitting on the bone. And the gingiva is looking at the bone and saying, I don't want you anymore. You're a foreign body. So um, we now have tools that make it better. And I know we're going to talk about gingival depigmentation. But aesthetics to us as periodontists is nothing new. We were just using what now looks like to be antiquated, ineffective, recurring issues uh, when we were using diamonds, burrs, and blades. So mostly like a, like you're saying in our traditional armamentarium, you know, obviously we got great results on, but I think that the, the introduction of laser therapy has greatly improved, I would say, our, our outcomes and our immediate outcomes, our immediate aesthetic outcomes. Um, so I know that that you know one of the parts of the discussion is all about the water laser. And I think that I that that's kind of important for people. You know, there is a difference between other types of lasers and the water laser. Um, and I think that ultimately we can see uh, some of these improvements. So regarding the idea of the water laser, what makes water laser unique compared to other lasers in, I guess, say, achieving our our final outcomes? Well, you can't use diode when bone's involved. And we do know folks try it, uh, but it is a multi-stage and kind of complex when you're looking at performing an aesthetic crown lengthening, my goodness. What goes through your head for the gummy smile is this whole construct of how much attached gingiva do I have? Are the teeth, do I have any wear on the teeth? What's the anatomical crown? What's the clinical crown? You know, where's the bone? Am I in passive, you know, eruption? Um, I mean, all of these things go through your head. You think you can just cut the gums off and make people look good, but they'll only look good for a brief moment, or if you're not careful, and believe me, I've done this once. <laughs> you forget about the anterior wear, and you do the, you start the gingivectomy on the first tooth, and before you know it, you're in the CEJ. So what was going to be a gingivectomy whitening case is now going to be a full-blown zirconium veneer case uh, because you forgot about the anatomical crown. You just thought about the clinical crown and where we are. Um, but Steve, I, I want to, you know, when you were bringing up about periodontists and where we're going, you were, you know, you were there at the at the Phoenix meeting that we just had the AAP. I never would have thought that there would be a general session and a general session at the American Academy of Perio 
is when there's no other concurrent events going on. It's the only session, and they have one every morning. And I was shocked that that session, one of those sessions was the gummy smile. Right. Great, great session, by the way. And it was an excellent session, except they forgot about lasers. Uh, (laughs) uh, And we'll talk about that. But for the... For the group putting courses together for the AAP to to put aesthetics into the general session, in my mind, tells you exactly where your intro is going in that this is an important part of periodontics. And if we think that we're going to go into the sunset doing flaponosity surgery, uh, then you're great. We're gravely mistaken. So I was impressed. Uh, I thought the pr- presentations were were good, uh, but unfortunately, and I think it's okay on this podcast, they felt that everything should be flaponosteous surgery. And just my pet peeve, taking 17, 18-year-old orthodontic patients where they are in altered passive eruption, where the bone is at the CEJ, and picking up a diamond or a burr and being the osseous assassin and removing three millimeters of bone on a 17, 18 year old, in my mind, is catastrophic and creates when they're 30, 35, and they have now now they have the eruption of the teeth where I believe they're going to have recession. Yeah, I think that's important. We've kind of already gotten into this uh, this subject or this matter of the crown leaf. Let's continue this if you don't mind, because sure. I think that actually in discussing the idea of optimum aesthetics, minimally invasive, yet still addressing the whole idea of of the aesthetics of the upper interior, I think the idea of aesthetic crown leaf is a huge important uh, subject. So could you kind of walk us through, if you don't mind, the steps for aesthetic, optimum aesthetic crown leaf? What should we look for? And in addition, maybe contrast that with what we traditionally do. Well, the first I want to suggest, and kudos to you, and really being the primary author on the aesthetics uh, both the pigmentation guide that we've just created uh, with our phenomenal marketing department. And now we will this week uh, produce the uh, aesthetic guide relative to aesthetic crowning, which lists all the steps and also the things to be careful of. Uh, I, I think in aesthetic crown lengthening, the first thing one has to understand is getting the patient's expectations where their lip line is, uh, and basically what you can do for them. The next step you want to make a decision on is, is it going to be a flap, uh, an osseous, a traditional, or can I do closed aesthetic crown lengthening? And when in doubt, you always do a flap. I think you would agree. When in doubt, always do the flap. However, if you have a thin or normal uh, uh, osseous uh, phenotype, there, it's very possible that you can do aesthetic close crown lengthening if you follow the steps that we've discussed. But the first thing you have to appreciate on flap versus no flap is going to be the morphology of the buccal plate. And if it is thick, don't even think about it because what will happen to you is that you will trough the bone. And when you trough the bone, It may look great now, but then the bone will fill in. And before you know it, you've now violated the supracrustal 
uh, attachment. And now you're going to be back to square one with, with gingiva that creates, it won't be the gummy smell you had before, but it, the gingiva will move coronally because we know an axiom. Gingiva follows bone, always. Gingiva follows bone. So if you're looking at the attached gingiva, which is probably going to be okay in most of these cases, and you're looking at the supercrustal attachment width, and you have a fairly thin to normal osseous uh, phenotype, we now know with a study that was done in January of 2022, now published in the International Journal of Peri and Restorative uh, Dentistry by um, our friend Walid Altabiyab, uh, is that you can do, a, it's a great randomized control trial of flap versus closed. You can now do these, these closed aesthetic crowning. Now, what is the ideal case? The ideal case is the post-orthodontic 17, 18-year-old, especially female. Why? Because unfortunately, the orthodontist has pretty well moved the teeth outside of the bone. <laughs> so if you do, if you look at a CBCT, you'll see, you'll see the dehiscences is actually kind of scary. Uh, well, if you already have dehiscences, you don't have to worry about where the bone is. There is no bone. So that's your fairly simple, straightforward case. You do your gingivectomy first. Uh, some of us use surgical guides. Uh, some of us use like the choose aesthetic gauge, but you do your one to 1.6 ratio. You do your gingivectomy. And, uh, but on those kinds of cases, when you go in with your, with your uh, laser uh, tip, with your little mark on it, three millimeters from the end, you're probably not gonna find bone. So you don't have to worry uh, about doing any kind of ostectomy. Uh, but if you do find bone, then you should spend more time working on the ostectomy than you do the gingivectomy. And as you know, we always suggest that you follow with chisels just to ensure that you've removed the bone, including at the at the um, the line angles, which is where most of us make the mistake. We don't remove enough bone at the line angles in which we affectionately call the widow's peaks. But that in itself is a good guide. But I, I'll, I, I strive, you should get training that you and I have done in the past, hands-on training, and that you should um, also follow these guides and follow the settings that are on the water lace machine, whether it's an Express or an I+. We have the defaults that are on those devices for both, uh, for both the close aesthetic crown lengthening and the open flap crown lengthening. There's one last thing which you did put in the guide, which I think is absolutely critical. If the gingiva itself is bulky, that doesn't preclude you from doing close aesthetic crown lengthening, but it does mean that when you do the, the gingivectomy, uh, the uh, external bevel gingivectomy, that now you're going to have to, and there's no other way of saying it, you're gonna to have to fillet the papillas. Because if you just go from line angle to line angle on the excision, you're going to have bulky papillas, and then they are going to grow back. And even though you may have removed the bone, you're going to have another bulky gingival phenotype. If you have very thin gingiva, 
then you can make your excision from line angle to line angle. And absolutely, you want to keep those papillae because you don't want a black triangle. So I, I hope that, you know, I know this is a podcast and this is audio, but I think most most folks, if they have the guide and they follow this uh, podcast, they, they, they appreciate where we're going. So one of the things I got to say that I, I mean, you're, you're a huge advocate of minimal or, or the, the less amount of instruments possible during a procedure is best, which I agree. And so I find that I think you just pointed out that the laser, the water laser is actually kind of a wonderful soft tissue laser and the chisel. I love the, the chisel, not only for the fact that if I go in there and if I find, happen to find that the bone relatively thin, I can just chisel and I don't have to go ahead and utilize the, uh, the laser to the water laser to go ahead and, and remove it. And it's also a great sounding instrument too. So um, I've always I've always thanked you for that, by the way, of making sure that uh, we want to keep as fewer instruments as possible uh, on our for doing our surgeries. Um, and, and we could recommend a couple of chisels. Yeah. Uh, one, I always know when you graduated from de dental school. <laughs> when I ask, do you know what a Weedlestat chisel is? <laughs> and uh, when when uh, you talk to someone who's graduated in the last ten years, and you say Weedlestat, it looks like you know, as they say, deer in the headlights. Um, but a Weedlestat chisel is outstanding for being your manual instrumentation. But you and I both know uh, that when I was with John Coyce, who actually is the pioneer of closed aesthetic crown lengthening, he just used an in-cutting Brassler burr, where we're now using laser. But he created um, from Brassler uh, something called the KB1 chisel. And I highly recommend for any of you out there to acquire the KB1 chisel. It is actually in also the guide. And it is a chisel a little bit like a Weedlestat, but it has an anodized black mark, three millimeters uh, from the end of the chisel. And it's a great device to ensure that you have not only just done your ostectomy, but you also can use the chisel to do a little bit of osteoplasty so that the bone is knife edged and your gingival will be knife edged. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I love that instrument. Although I do have to say that I do have the Weedle stat. So that, I guess that does, a, that does give you, uh, kind of let you know what my age is. Um, regarding resources, um, you had made mention that it's very important that if you're going to be doing a crown lengthening, a set of crown lengthening, particularly if I have to close, um, to get trained, to get well-educated, um, where would you say right now, would be the best resource to go to. I know if you go into biolays.com, could you maybe let the listeners know where maybe a couple of resources would be? Sure. And actually, again, I go back to marketing who manages our, our website. Uh, if you go under resources, uh, you will find the animation videos uh, for all the procedures that we are discussing. And uh, they're free. It's free access for you. That's one. Uh, second is that although we don't really teach this in our core programs to general practitioners because we've got so much in there already, we are now creating a what we call an advanced aesthetic all day course that will now happen starting in 2023. And we'll probably do one of those a quarter um, for any of our waterless clinicians. Uh, now, we do do the crown lengthening for our 
periodontal in-office training, uh, but even for periodontists, uh, they may be able to, you know, there would be no reason why they might not want to attend our new advanced aesthetic course all day. Uh, I think our first one will be in Foothills <laughs> and uh, that'll be a hands-on course uh, for them. So you've got uh, at least three resources. One is the Vimeo videos. Uh, one is this excellent aesthetic guidebook that, that's coming out this week. And then thirdly is the advanced um, uh, course. Now, uh, there's a fourth. Uh, in, I believe, October, and all of these webinars are on our website, we actually had Dr. Altiab uh, do an aesthetic course uh, webinar for us, and you can access that webinar uh, freely from our website. So there are four resources just on the area of aesthetic crown lengthening and uh, gingival depigmentation for you. And I would highly recommend that our listeners tap into those resources. Honestly, this is great and they're informative. Um, so let's go into another aesthetic periodontal procedure, the depigmentation. Uh, I would I would like to get some more information, not only when you find that that is a, a procedure that is, I guess, say, um, how would I say, in demand, um, requested. Uh, and after we uh, go ahead and kind of identify those individuals who may be interested in this type of a, a procedure, uh, we can kind of go through the steps of the procedure. So who, what type of patient would be interested in this? Well, this is where, and uh, and you wrote this in the guidebook for uh, for gingival depigmentation, and I think it's very important that versus the crown lengthening, where someone says, you know, I got short teeth, I got a gummy smell, you know, and I want to look like they look in vogue. That's one thing, but one has to be careful in the relationship with a patient relative to gingival depigmentation. Because as they always say, this is in the eyes of the beholder. So you have to, I'm not going to say you have to walk a thin line, but when a patient comes in with pigmentation, uh, there are certain uh, ethnic groups that actually enjoy the fact of the pigmentation as part of, you know, their background, their ethnicity. So I leave it up to the clinician on how you do that. Now, one of the ways is to put on your website of uh, before and afters and let the patient be driven to, to what they want. Or you could have maybe photographs somewhere in your office of uh, before and afters. Uh, but I caution uh, one to have someone and say, hey, would you like to have pink gums uh, just because of the sensitivities to the ethnicity? So that, that's the first thing. Again, we periodontists and others have been doing depigmentation for 30 years. And we did that with burrs, diamonds, and blades. And I can tell you what happened and why we stopped doing it for the most part, except in the Middle East. And the most part was it was a lot of hemorrhage, 
We didn't know what we were doing. So we left melanocytes. We got spotty results. In other words, dark pink, dark pink, dark pink. We had to go back and do it again. And if there ever was a place for the laser, it is gingival depigmentation. And it is, I'm not saying it's easy to do, but it's a heck of a lot easier than using a diamond. And I now still see cases posted on social media where someone used a diamond and there's no other way of saying it, it looks like hamburger. <laughs> I mean, it looks, you know, it's tissue tags. You can imagine. Um, but my point about the laser is you're able, because uh, you know, every time the laser makes a pass, it's only 25 microns. So the precision is just incredible. So you're able to make that pass over and over to where you deepithelialize, which by the way, is generally three or four passes of our laser on the appropriate settings and you're in the dermal layer. And then once you're in the dermal layer, uh, it will be uh, a definitely a paler, whiter color. And then you find those melanocytes and you keep going towards the, towards the osseous until you remove the melanocytes. Now, I wanna give a very, very important contraindication or you're going to do this and the patient is going to shoot you. And that contraindication is based primarily on if you get too close to the bone, my friends, you will get a massive osteitis. And as you know, that will be secondary intent. And the patient will have significant discomfort and it will take forever to heal. So you have to be judicious in doing a steady crown lengthening and doing it to where, now I don't want to scare anyone, just be careful and look at what? The gingival phenotype before you start. The second uh, caution is please don't get into those papillas because you start doing gingival depigmentation and you thin out a papilla and you get a black triangle then I think all of us know there's three things we can't do as periodontists. We can't grow bone vertically. We can't fill bone in a furca and we can't grow papillas. So you have to be extremely careful. Other than that, many, 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 many practitioners, dentists and periodontists, prosthodontists do gingival depigmentations every single day and get phenomenal results. What great advice. Honestly, those are like pearls of wisdom that you're not going to get anywhere else. So thank you for sharing those with us. I do have a question though, um, regarding the idea of the pigment seeking laser versus the water seeking laser. Do you have a feeling of one versus the other as for depigmentation? Excellent question. And studies have been done. The, uh, you know, I, I, am never old enough not to have mentors, even though they may be 15 years younger than me. <laughs> but my mentor for depigmentation and to a certain degree of set of crown lightning is Waleed Atyab because uh, Waleed practices as a periodontist in Qatar. And I have been to the Middle East. And I must tell you, Perio is not high on the list. 
but aesthetic crown lengthening and especially depigmentation is high on the list. And here are the studies. Naturally, a diode is, you're right, is pigment seeking. And you can do it with a diode. In fact, uh, you can do it with a diode with just topical, if you know what you're doing. And it's very effective. It just takes a while. It takes longer to do it than it would with an erbium chromium YSGG. Um, with an erbium chromium YSGG, it's shorter time. However, I will be, you know, let's always be transparent. Most studies show that you get less recurrence with a diode than you do with an erbium chromium. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because the diode is looking for the very thing you're trying to remove. And more importantly, the diode is absorbed deeper, penetrates deeper than a, than a erbium chromium YSGG. Now, personally, because of speed, I still do the, uh, the water lace over the diode, but I wanted the audience to appreciate that when it comes to depigmentation, either device, either the diode or Epic X or the water lace is sufficient for doing the procedures. Yeah, it's interesting because utilizing the, uh, the water lace it just seems like it's cleaner, easier to do compared to the diode. Right. Um, and so, precision. And like precision. I said, I, I tend to prefer the, the water lace. The precision. Right. <laughs> Utilizing the water lays for the implant emergence profile, I have found this hugely beneficial. Would you mind just kind of walking our listeners through the benefits of the uh, the water lays with the emergence profile? Yes. In the past, what have we used? The infamous punch biopsy <laughs> knife. I know when I look at it, you know, it's all we had before, but I mean, you talk about an equation. Or we use the blade trying to find it. Uh, again, we have great animation on the um, second stage, secondary stage uh, implant recovery. Uh, I will tell you that the one thing that I, I added to that was don't ever lose the surgical guide, because if you lose the surgical guide, then when you start to do the uncovery, you have no earthly idea where the implant is if you have gingiva over it. So please, my friends, never throw away your surgical guide because uh, it, it, it earmarks exactly where you need to make your, your incision. And I enjoy that you use the term emergence profile because in the posterior, your emergence profile actually starts wide, right? And then goes in on the emergence profile to the healing cap. The issue in the anterior is exactly the opposite. In the anterior, your initial incision it actually is very narrow and then spreads out to the healing cap. And the reason for that is what? To preserve your papillus. 
So how many times have I seen someone use the punch biopsy or the blade in the anterior and then realize that cut off the papillas? So there's no other device more effective in second stage uncovery than a water lace. Now, for my friends that have a diode, please be careful. Because if you're doing second stage uncovery with that diode, and you spend too much time with the tip touching the healing cap, you will overheat the implant and you will lose the implant from de-osteointegration. So please, the diagram, I'm not saying not do it, but I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me and said, you know something? Now I know why I'm losing implants is that I've been spending too much time with the, with the tip directly on the um, healing cap and it over it overheats the um, implant and you get deosteointegration. So I, I hope that helps. You know, I got to say one thing about the water lays, and this is probably the key benefit for me is its ability to sculpt, its ability to contour the tissues um, is until you've actually picked it up and used it and actually tried to sculpt the tissues or, or kind of, like I said, uh, do kind of micro adjustments to the tissues. You really don't get that appreciation until you actually pick it up and, uh, and start to use it. And uh, I think that one of the, uh, the greatest locations to really get that is in training, is uh, sitting down with, a, uh, with an instructor or trainer and have them kind of go over all the uh, how to utilize laser. Uh, as you said to me when I first started to, uh, to pick up my laser, Steve, slow down. Go slow and uh, just go nice and easy and smooth. That's the best advice I've ever had. <laughs> and you will become the... the so, Dr. Lau, I do want to... Yeah, you will become, uh, Steve, the Michelangelo of both sculpting gingiva and bone. Actually, you know what happens with me is I enjoy it so much that I run over time. And my dental assistant is saying, okay, I, I get it. But it's time you got another patient out there because I, I will spend forever, especially on aesthetic crown lengthening, just sculpting to make that incredible, beautiful smile. So let me guess, when you used to do your crown wax ups, you took about 14 days to make a crown? <laughs> probably. That's why I probably became a periodontist. <laughs> That's why I became one. Dr. Lau, thank you very, very much for uh, for joining us today. Really appreciate your insight and information on uh, on aesthetics. Um, again, being the periodontal esthetician that you are, thank you very much for uh, for being here today. Well, Steve, thank you for having me. I uh, love the questions. It hit, hit us right on the target. And I appreciate our listeners and also suggesting that this is just the primer and they need to look at the other assets that BioLace affectionately has created. Most definitely. And also, listeners, don't forget, you can find all this information and all the resources at BioLace, www.biolace.com. Go into resources, go into education. There's a ton of information, ton of resources out there. Don't do it alone, you guys. Go ahead and, uh, and look it up, and uh, I'm sure you'll be uh, extremely happy. So stay tuned again for some more uh, future Advancing Dentistry podcast subjects in the near future. Until then, cheers, everyone.
Thanks for joining us for another Advancing Dentistry podcast. Opinions expressed are those of individual doctors and do not necessarily represent BioLace. Please refer to your individual state governing bodies for laws pertaining to laser usage. To learn more about WaterLace, all tissue, and Epic Diode Laser Technology, visit BioLace.com forward slash podcast.